Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast once again. This is episode 88, entitled Lightning Fast Static WordPress Hosting with Daniel Olson. It was published on the 9th of August 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England, and I'll be joined by David Wormsley from davidwormsley.com so that we can have our usual top and tail discussion. The discussion before the interview is called Gutenberg on, off or both, and the ending fact is 8 out of 10 consumers will choose online shopping if free shipping is offered and you can make of those what you will. Please go to the wpbuilds.com website, wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to our newsletter and get yourself on our messenger notifications and so on, and wpbuilds.com forward slash deals to avail yourself of some coupon codes on some WordPress plugins. Also, we've got a couple of webinars coming up. We've got a webinar about Project Huddle and another webinar in the near future about Kanban WP. And you can find those at wpbuilds.com forward slash webinars. Okay, today's podcast episode with Daniel Olson. Daniel Olson works for a company called Digital Cube and they are AWS, Amazon Web Services experts. And he talks to us at great length about a whole ton of stuff that him, he and his company do. They have two hosting solutions and a, f- a couple of free plugins on the WordPress repo. And it's very, very interesting. They've got um, a real expertise in AWS. And I know from personal experience that this can be fraught with difficulties. And although the platform itself is hugely powerful, unraveling all that stuff can be very, very complicated indeed. And Daniel and his company take care of all of that. So we'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, let's go to the discussion with David and I. Thanks for listening to the podcast once again. And today's discussion, we're calling Gutenberg on, off or both. And we're recording this, I think, five days after the release of 4.9.8, where everyone got invited through their WordPress dashboards to try out Gutenberg early or to install the classic editor so that Gutenberg wouldn't come on in version five. So, Nathan, what have you been doing well, to be honest with you, for the to begin with, I was pretty shocked by the size of the the prompt. Um, I know the button itself wasn't that big, but if you haven't updated to four point nine point eight, I have a fairly large monitor, and and it occupied a really giant space. I was I was a bit taken aback actually because it it kind of felt like. Look, just get on with it. Here it is. Just do it. And the button was blue, and the you yes. know the classic editor button was kind of grayed out and looked a bit weedy and pathetic so um so yeah I, I don't know obviously they're trying to push it down our throats what have i done i've done absolutely nothing um i'm still waiting to see i'm formulating what i'm going to do but because it's not yet a thing i haven't done anything one thing to say um and i said it in the news is that if you're installed if you haven't got this installed on a website 
uh, only the admin um, user roles will get this prompt. So if you're like me and you don't give your clients admin user roles and permissions, they won't see this. But if you have installed Gutenberg for one reason or another, I think it's visible this this kind of pop-up, if you like, it's in the dashboard, um, to contributor and above. So perhaps you don't need to worry about it just yet, which is the approach I'm taking. I'm not worrying about it. What about you? Uh, well, I've I've gone around. See, I've had a bit of um, a plan for a while, which is not like me, but I have informed <laughs> the clients about Gutenberg. So I hinted what it is. And then about two months ago, knowing that it was going to be coming soon, I said, I was going to switch it off by default unless they want told me otherwise just for the testing. And then I didn't know at that point that this uh, option to be able to try it out was going to come where you could install the classic editor. So what I've done just ahead of my monthly report to everybody, I've gone round and I thought about it a lot this time, but I did what I said I was going to do and I've installed the classic editor. So they're not going to get it. And I've told them how they could try it out if they wanted to. But I thought about it and I thought about each and every one of them and whether they could use it at the moment. Let me guess how many replies you got to that email, though, asking them their opinion on Gutenberg. Let me guess the answer is <laughs> less than one. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but, you know, the, the most interesting thing and the most uh, it, it's really shocked me because, you know, my folks are not that interested. But two of them had already gone in and installed the classic editor. Oh, what? I know. And they didn't nobody, reply to you? No, nobody said a word about that. They'd already gone in and installed the classic editor, and I was really surprised. I haven't had a word about that. but uh, ah, I wonder yeah. why. I mean, presumably they're following WordPress. Because, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? We're in some kind of bubble, and we forget that this thing, this Gutenberg thing, which is tremendously important to all of us, if I was to speak to just anybody apart from you and the people in the WP Builds group and, you know, word camps and all of that, they would say, uh, what? Because yeah. it's of no consequence. So I'm I'm really surprised. But you've got two users there who are obviously a bit more into WordPress than you thought. Yeah. Or they just picked up on what I'd communicated earlier that, yes. you know, just to save ourselves any hassle, we'll wait until we know what it is. Because if there was a benefit for them, I would say, you know, encourage them. But there's a learning curve with it. So um, that, you know, that that was one of the points I made, you know, we'll try and work out some way when it, it does come in um, to you know, best work with it, and it needs a bit of thinking about, which is what I've been doing. But How did for me, you frame so, it though? Did you did you frame it in very kind of passive terms, or did you you know illustrate its benefit? You know, did you say this is going to be a great thing? You might want to install it, or did you dumb it down a bit and say, well, there's a bit of change. You know, it might cause a few upsets. How, <laughs> how did you pitch it? No, I've been very neutral when it comes to clients, which is the very opposite of what I am when we talk. Right. <laughs> and I wander around the Facebook groups and stuff. So, yeah, then you get my, my true feelings. But, uh, no, for them, I've kept it fairly neutral because I just don't think they should inherit my problems and anxieties. So mm. I keep it fairly neutral about what I think might be practical. C can so. you see any real benefit? So let's go, let's go for the off argument first. Can you see any reason why it shouldn't be off? Why on earth would an existing client, let's say somebody that's been with you for a period of time and has clearly got into creating posts or creating pages yeah. and so on and so forth, is there any benefit in switching it on, honestly, that you know of? No. I mean, at the moment, I think as it stands, because we use a page builder, we do our pages are sorted out, particularly design stuff. So it can really only come down for, for us 
down to using it for posts. And as yet, I've got so few people who create posts. And there's only one person I could think of who I did write to who I thought might want to do something a bit more complex. Maybe they want to to add some columns and put two images next to each other in the future. But really unlikely, I think. So, and, and in fact, you know, I don't think they will ever want what it has at the moment, you know. So it needs to be the later versions of Gutenberg when it's doing more stuff and they can, you know, I don't know, repurpose the content and put it into the blocks before it can have any value to them. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm a both person, though, because I'm still testing it for myself to try out and, you know, and learn how I'm going to. The thing I need to do is to find a way of being able to show people how to use this entirely new, almost page builder-like interface when they've already got a page builder interface. Yeah, do you think that um, we're in a fairly... Well, I suppose it's a growing minority of people using page yeah. builders where you know yeah. it feels like Gutenberg is. I don't want to be offensive, but it, it's it's not as complex as page builders, let's say, and it can't do as many things as well, if you like. Yeah. Um, so you know we're kind of worrying about about something which we we really shouldn't be worrying about because our clients could could handle this. But if you've got Beaver Builder or Elementor or whatever it might be, mm. you just let the clients use that you know in other words leave it off let them use what they've used for ages and if they're creating posts with you know the default text editor or custom fields or whatever just let them carry on with that yeah exactly well you know look they're busy you know they're busy people with their own businesses to right, run. I, right. I, they didn't choose wordpress in my case i i they chose us and we gave them wordpress mm. and convinced them it was good so you know, I don't think we can chuck something that might impede their ability to do something without warning. Mm. And we have to wait until they're ready to be trained to deal with that. That's how I see it. So I would be really annoyed if I woke up to do the usual thing I had to do, my chore or something of adding something to my website and discovered that it all looked different. So that's the issue, isn't it, for those people who are not involved with WordPress? Well, you know? I guess it's the potential, A, to be confused and muddled when you go mm. in and see mm. this new editor for the first time what how do i even interact with this mm. and be the possible the possibility small though it may be that things will be irretrievably broken for them now obviously yeah. you or i could yeah. probably go in and with a couple of minutes mend things so that it's fine but your client if yeah. things have gone pear-shaped they're pear-shaped and it's just a, you know the sky is falling in and it's a bit of a disaster Mm. Um, yeah, with this, with the classic editor plugin, that how does that work? My understanding is that it disables all the things. Not only does it disable the pop-up warning, but it disables any warning in the future. It disables Gutenberg from being installed when 5.0 run, uh, comes out. Is that is that right? I think so. This yep. is my understanding. A lot of people asking questions, and I want to know this well. Is it going to be continued to be maintained? And I, I've been reading through the comments, you know, um, that are coming in for Gutenberg, and it's it, it's really hard to get a very concrete answer on these things. Is this going to be updated for good? Oh, it's not going to disappear is the kind of – it's sort of vague terms which doesn't tell you whether it's going to be maintained. Obviously, because this is the Gutenberg team who – at the moment, as far as we understand, say this is coming. So there's no reason why we'd need to be maintaining this old stuff. So I can understand why they're edging their bets, but it creates an uncertainty about it, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, well, exactly. You know, and um, if at some point the that that plugin does get disabled, well, you know, the classic editor now being a plugin does get 
mm. a, a paucity of updates, then I suppose at some point in the future you will be forced to do this whether you like it or not. But I can't see that being any time soon. I mean, I'm talking multiple years. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a. I mean, we haven't even spoken about the kind of reviews. I mean, the reviews mm. as we're recording this, where it's now gone down to an overall score of 2.4 and given that the lowest you could possibly get is one it's not great and you know more than twice the number of people with five five and four stars are in the one and two star range so it's twice as many really so you know only a third could be said to like it and do you think do you think this do you think that statistic is slightly um how to describe it disingenuous in the sense that some of the stuff that I was reading was you're more likely to give a negative review um, than you are a positive one. But also, presumably, the people who go to the uh, the repo are going to be people who are very familiar with WordPress, not your traditional client. So I'm wondering if um, first-time users of WordPress or end, end users of WordPress, clients of ours, if you like, I wonder if when yeah. they see it, they'd be like, oh, shiny, I like it. Well, you know what? I think if you look... Um, I think I was looking through to see who the reviewers were and I think they've got what they expected. They've got a lot of first time reviewers. Mm. So I think it is mm. their reaction and maybe they don't like the change suddenly being thrust upon them by surprise. Um, but and that's the reaction. But you know what? I'm not quite so sure because, you know, obviously page builders out there at the moment that are fairly new, Elementor, Beaver Builder, they've all managed to get sort of 4.8 um, uh, ratings and stuff so and obviously there's politics isn't there most of it is not about the the quality of the plugin itself it's some amazing work there without a doubt it's really clever what has been done so you know from a technical standpoint it's really unfair because it's about the politics about it being thrust on us but i do I just say I'm going to start ranting soon. I think no, I think you should because you. Before we started recording this, you expressed some fairly fairly good opinions and why you thought there was mistakes being made here. Well, you know what I think. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. I, I've got an idea how to make it popular. I think they should play up the history side of it. I think it should be called the Ye Old Gutenberg Publishing Plugin: A Journey Back to 15th <laughs> Century Germany. Get your wooden blocks, put them in a line. (laughs) Exactly. Perfect plug-in for pampered emoji-loving brats of the 21st century who think (laughs) publishing is simply typing freely and clicking save. (laughs) No, but you you have an opinion that this is... Okay, I'm going to be cagey now. That The the (laughs) way this has been handled is causing the angst and the friction. It's not the technical side of it. As you said, it's very good. It's the the way it's been handled. And let's use the word thrust upon us. Yeah, that's mostly what it is. And even on the five-star ratings, people who love it, they say, I don't think it should be in core and stuff. So it's not really... I think that's the main problem. And I think possibly, this is my best understanding of it, I, I'm not anti-Gutenberg, so I'm really careful about what I say, but I don't like it being thrust on us because I think it's a community and I think that's wrong. But I think the message has been wrong because, you know, I've realised only through the comments and the criticisms and people trying to explain how you use Gutenberg how you could easily train somebody to use it because the classic editor is still in there. In fact, you know, you go and right click on it and turn things into blocks. So you could work it in the old fashioned style and just turn it into blocks. So there's an easy way to introduce people to it. And I'm sure blocks are going to give us structure, which is going to take us forward in the future. So I think it's really fabulous. But 
what they've pushed out is a new interface on people and the force in it. And it neither is one thing nor another, because if you're uh, somebody who needs to write blog posts, you are a writer. So the perfect UI for you is generally something like Word or Google Docs. Mm -hmm. So they've broken that by introducing blocks, even though you could ignore it, but no one's told you this. And then if you're a page builder fan and you want to see, you know, true WYSIWYG where all your styling and all of your layouts can be seen from the front as it is, it's neither that either for mm. when you're in design page mode. Yeah. So unfortunately, no one can see the benefits of either of it. But if they just made it a lot easier to explain how it's not such a departure and how this could really develop things for the future, as long as you don't get worried about what is there. But I think they've gone too far on all the clever stuff that's in there. So everybody thinks, yeah, oh, this is all too much and blocks is too much to me. I don't, I just want to write my bloody blog post. (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to go back to 15th century Germany where I have to manually move these things around all over. It's taxing, it's tedious. And, uh, you know, you need more skills than just writing skills. And previously you didn't. (laughs) You, You came up with a really nice way of educating. Now, maybe there is already in train a series of, you know, brilliant education videos that are going to ship with 5.0 explaining the transition but i did like your your technique of um duplicating posts if you like and then converting them go go through that because that that could be a a nice way to get your clients on board yeah well it was just really from one of the comments i just thought oh this is a great way so i went back to some of my old posts and i just converted those into blocks and i thought oh now i understand it's my content that i put in and i just thought yeah that's all you need is the the main, because the classic text editor, I think they're calling, is basically your tiny MCE still in there. Yep, the guys yep. who are behind that are still part of this project, aren't they? So I, I think this hasn't been played up enough. And that's, I think, of course, I'm now thinking about how I will deal with this in all circumstances, because, of course, there's a whole wave of us who are trying to keep people even away from that, aren't they? We're, we're using custom fields instead. And we yeah. want them to and there's the big problem with it all isn't it it's really because i think matt mullenweg has communicated that it's about dealing with the threat that's coming from wix and squarespace that that's been the mission behind it unfortunately i think you know we've seen lots of people come into wordpress just to get hold of things like beaver builder and elementor and more of those so it feels like the reason that is give, given everybody is no longer there in fact his reason is now a threat to the thing that seems to be saving WordPress. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting. I mean, the the WordPress team have focused for such a long time on stability and backwards compatibility. As we all know, um, mm. I was a big fan of Drupal for years, and, and eventually that's what killed it for me, was the the massive upheaval between point releases, so mm. five to six, six to seven, and so on. Um, but 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 that community is resilient and they know that this big change is coming and you've got to upskill mm. yourself and they do do a fairly good job of explain well actually a very good job of explaining what's coming so that at the point where it arrives you're fully aware of what you ought to have learned and there's an awful lot of um you know pre-release releases that you can yeah. play with um and also they support the previous version of Drupal so they always support two versions, the current one and the previous one. So right. in this case, there would be full support for seven and full support for eight. And when Drupal 9 comes along, they'll support eight 
and nine. In other words, you've got like a two or three year window to get your clients and everything up and running again. WordPress doesn't really have that. So I kind of wonder if the mm. the problem here is one of not quite understanding, I think you called it conflict or change management. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is they don't understand that. I mean, I can hear a lot of people saying, and there's a truth in it, isn't there, that people are resistant to change. But I don't think it's very true. As I was saying to you before, I've not met anybody who's got into WordPress who hasn't wanted to install many themes and plugins and play around mm. and try something new. Mm. It's just simply not the case when you get into that mindset. Uh, I think most of this changes worry about the future and where you can go. And, and my worry, because of the page build, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people who are so mortified by this because they just don't want page builders and quite right. And that's why they're with WordPress. So alienating those people is what I'm fearful of mm. for the community. But also for me, oh, you know, it's it's a threat to our page builders because it's so like a page builder on top of my page builder that I have to work out how I'm saying this very almost like a page builder UI is here. You're going to have to get used to, but don't worry. You're going to have to ignore this and ignore that. And I, I don't know. And it's also the threat, isn't it? That it's, I think, unlike Drupal, where it's, it's, I think it's more developer. People know what to expect with that, mm. with Drupal. Mm. It's more serious in that way. WordPress wasn't even meant to be what it is now, the CMS it is for mm. building. It was meant to be a blogging platform. And it's grown because of its simplicity, which is what we're removing. And it's grown because it's done so little to the core that everybody can build on it and build businesses around it. And I think, you know, I think the solution has already happened. The ecosystem is building those solutions to combat Wix and Weebly Squarespace. So it's it's in competition with them. That's what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. I mean, so getting back to the original question then, David, Sorry. on, <laughs> off, or both? Yeah, well, it's both for me because I'm all in WordPress. I, you know, I love it, and I, I'm sure this isn't the disaster. I'm sure there's going to be great stuff to come out of it, so I want to be playing around with it like anybody else. I just think, ah, don't force it on me. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going for off at the minute until I've had more of a chance to play with it, until you know, however long it takes for five to come around. So, yeah, interesting chat. We should probably knock it on the head there because we're approaching about 20 minutes. So, um, as always, we've achieved nothing, but we've talked around <laughs> something. So, um, yeah, we should go to the interview. Hello there. Welcome to the interview part of the podcast. I'm glad that you've stayed this far. Today, we've got Daniel Olson all the way from Philadelphia in the USA. Hello, Daniel. Hey, how are you? I'm good. It's really, Whenever we do these interviews, it always occurs to me that basically me and Daniel have spoken for about an hour <laughs> already. So we've had a, but yeah, we've had quite a good, quite a good chatter, and yet we always have this pretense that oh, we're just about to we're just talking for the first time. But yeah, hello for the for the yeah, benefit I, of the I show. I just picked up my telephone. How are you? <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. You're speaking to somebody else. Um, this is going to be really interesting and we genuinely have no idea where this is going to go because there's an awful lot to say because of the nature of what Daniel has been doing recently. Um, it kind of all revolves around the, 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 the crux of hosting, shall we say. Maybe that's the only word we can hang on it. 
But mm-hmm. um, Daniel works for a company, I'm going to say a Japanese company. I don't know if that's actually true, but they're based in Japan called Digital Cube. And I think, Daniel, that's where we're going to start, if that's all right. Do you want to just tell us, um, well, actually, tell us that little story you just told me a moment ago about how you ended up working for Digital Cube, because that's fun. Sure. Welcome to the Variety Show, everyone. <laughs> so my name is Daniel Olson. I live in Philadelphia. and I'm a WordPress developer. I've been working with WordPress for about, I guess, 10 years, eight years, uh, longer than, you know, a lot, the longest thing I've ever done. Hmm. But the, the way I met Digital Cube was I was working at a branding agency. Uh, so doing, you know, the web element, a web portion of uh, design projects. And I was invited to WordCamp, uh, my first WordCamp in Philly. It was the first WordCamp US. And it was only two blocks from my office, so I said, hey, why not? It's a paid day of work. It's only 40 bucks to go. Uh, it seems like a fun time. They have free food, free barbecue. So, of <laughs> course, I want to go. And I head over to the conference. Um, it's packed, way bigger than I expected. And in the sponsor hall, there was this booth, and all the branding on the booth was all Amazon Web Services related. And at the time, I was... Um, my work was really focused on like infrastructure and you know building really large sites for universities or um, hospitals. And the uh, the work that I was doing was um, more server side. And seeing this Amazon branded booth at a WordPress conference really piqued my interest um, because I was uh, using AWS at the time. Um, so I go over, introduce myself, and there, there was a lot of people at their booth, but I could tell they didn't really understand what the service they were selling, you know, what was their offering. Um, but, but I saw clearly it was an Amazon um, hosting product for WordPress, and there was all the keywords that got me really excited, like HHVM, and you know, the introduction of PHP 7 when that was first coming out. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, took a chance and I said, hey, let me let me interview you guys. And it was the first time I ever interviewed someone. I just wanted to, you know, introduce myself, um, pick a way to to learn a little bit more about them. Uh, and I, you know, did my quick interview on the spot. And I said, hey, uh, let's let's go grab a beer. <laughs> and uh, and that turned into, you know, a several year long relationship. Uh, I ended up joining the company shortly after. Um, you know, I loved working with these guys, but yeah, they are based in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joined the team uh, a little over a year ago, but I've actually been working with them for the past, I guess, uh, three years. Um, first as a client, uh, building, you know, working on the branding projects and then moving over to uh, the company itself. Okay. Um, the We should probably say the, the way that you get to Digital Cube is digitalcube, all as one word, dot JP. And then if you click on the, the main menu, there's there's a button called Solutions. And, and I think really this is the way we're going to frame this conversation. We're going to talk about these solutions, of which, just scrolling through, there's, there's half a dozen or so. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, there are quite a few. Um, largely, as you said, there's a Definite connection between this company and Amazon Amazon Web Services, which I mean, you, you presumably, if you listen to this podcast, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you want to tell us about how they got started doing their stuff? And I'm talking specifically about this Amimoto product that which is featured right at the very top. Yeah, so we 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 position ourselves as a WordPress solutions company. So we build WordPress products um, to fit certain needs. 
And one of the first products that we created was Amimoto. And Amimoto is a WordPress hosting product, and it's built within AWS, uh, uses all the different AWS products um, to kind of leverage uh, anything from a, you know, small single instance hosting, whether you have a blog or just a you know, brochure website or business website, all the way up to sites that can get millions of hits per day, um, such as you know, if you have a site like the New York Times, we actually host Japan Times. Uh, and if you know, they need lots of servers that scale, if they need automation that can you know, deliver performance in any region, uh, we build the products to deliver you know, your content to users at like low latency. And uh, we do that through AWS, all the different offerings and products that AWS has. Uh, and it started out as um, we, we kind of have a split between our team. Uh, it's really half WordPress developers and half AWS engineers. So mm -hmm. using you know, that knowledge together, they can leverage uh, the tools that AWS has to offer with how WordPress works. So, all right, WordPress works really great in this particular way. How do we leverage that feature using Amazon? And we find ways to kind of fill those gaps in to deliver you know, the performance and uh, you know, do all the things that we want to do hosting-wise, uh, but specifically on AWS for WordPress. I um I occasionally find myself in the AWS console and um, not very often, maybe once every six months I go in. And every single time I go in, there's this button. I can't remember what it's called, services or something like that. And you click on it and this gigantic menu, which has just got bigger and bigger over the years. And actually, I've got a fairly big monitor with fairly decent resolution. And it's it never big enough. And it completely fills and then some my monitor. Yep. So I'm guessing there's like a hundred-ish services that they offer yes most of them have names which don't mean anything um well they do if you know what they mean but you know they have peculiar names that that's the sort of the, the, the route that they've gone down and yep. i don't really understand what they're doing so in a sense is that what amimoto is you figure out the parts of that complicated aws puzzle which wordpress could possibly use and if i was to sign up to amimoto you would j just sort of do that stuff for me yeah, so a lot of those services come into play, and mm -hmm. there's no shortage of them from <laughs> from AWS. But uh, there are a few couple key components that we use on a regular basis for every hosting uh, product or every uh, site that we that we host with us. But um, there's certain you know if you're an enterprise level client or you run a custom plan with us, that's you know we do a lot of that for customers. Um, if they need a particular feature or um, you know service that AWS has to offer that's not in our standard plan. Um, the great thing about Amazon is we can you know, add that to our stack. We can build that into our configuration uh, very easily. So if there's a particular need, we can you know, leverage everything that AWS has to offer. Mm -hmm. uh, but for most customers, there is a suite of um, you know, products that they have that go into every uh, plan or every package that we you know, offer to customers. Um, now, there's an awful lot of complexity in there and presumably there's a sort of certain use case. What would be the, the sort of like the 10,000 mile overview? It, it, what kind of site benefits best? I mean, you've obviously mentioned the Japan Times and it features quite heavily on the amimoto-ami.com website. Um, is there any people that you turn away? You just sort of say this isn't suitable or absolutely you should look into Amimoto. What, what's, what's the feel of that site? 
I wouldn't say we we turn anyone away. There's mm. particular cases where Abimoto is um, a really great use case, a really great you know product uh, for certain sites. If you have a WooCommerce site, uh, if you have a you know high traffic site like Japan Times, we deliver you know products specifically for those needs. So we have a stack that is built just for WooCommerce um, to to leverage you know the things that WooCommerce needs to deliver those particular settings. If there is a high traffic site like Japan Times, we have stack for that. Or if you have a small blog that you, um, you know, let's say you're a boutique hotel and you have a booking site, you might get a lot of traffic. There might be peaks. You know, let's say there's a conference in your city. Uh, those things you know, are great for Amimoto as well, but they're they're at a much lower cost mm. than than what Japan Times might need. But yep. it can still deliver that performance. And some of the features that I would say are really great about Abimoto is the auto scaling. Some of our plans can scale horizontally. So if you need more servers, you can scale up to 10 servers side by side, all automated. You never have to uh, manage that. We do that for you. That's incredible. Um, or if you need to scale vertically. So let's say this server doesn't have enough memory to you know, deliver this certain feature. It can scale vertically as well. Have you got any, I mean, there's bound to be somebody in the audience who, who has a, a really nice understanding of what AWS is and what all the um, the services are. Take the example of WooCommerce and the stack that you build out for WooCommerce. What, what, would, be, what would be something about that WooCommerce stack that might differ from, say, the, the Japan Times one? What, what are the things that you throw at it that, that help it to be a good WooCommerce site? So there's similar features, but the, the main point is the... Um, the, the caching. So mm-hmm. the caching level on a site like Japan Times, where it might be news heavy, uh, you can you can be more aggressive with that. The mm-hmm. content might may not change. Uh, there's not a lot of heavy use of query strings. Whereas a WooCommerce site, you may have lots of you know use of query strings because of the products and variations and categories. Mm-hmm. And there's also specific calls to the database. So the amount of data, if you have you know, thousands of products or even hundreds of products, uh, the overhead to run that site is different. It has different needs. It uses different resources. So the the actual config on the server itself, um, we use Nginx. That config is slightly different to kind of allow WooCommerce to run in a particular way that is really great for WooCommerce. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the PHP settings might be a little different. Some stacks use um, Amazon's uh, Relational Database Service, or RDS, and it's similar on the surface, so it may look the same, but when you get into the details of um, you know, the specific settings of Nginx, the specific settings of PHP, they vary slightly. So it's, it's based on the performance that we get while you know, monitoring sites. Mm-hmm. So, all right, this particular feature or this particular setting, we need to up it you know, to by four, by three. And we can change it, see the effect, and say, all right, this is the stack. This is for WooCommerce particularly. Um, we just suddenly got some strange humming noise going on in the background there. I don't know if it's me or it's you, but um, apologies for the humming noise, whatever that was. Um, yeah, so absolutely fascinating. So it's just a regular um, WordPress site built inside of Amazon's infrastructure, if you like. Um, and it scales in every which way so that it's a super, super um, reliable and it's using a super, super reliable service. So if I was to sign up to uh, Amamoto to use your uh, 
your product. Would I be using AWS in any way? Would I have to interact with AWS, have an AWS account, or do I just sign up and use Amamoto and you do all of that stuff with your um, connection to AWS? So if, if you want to use Amimoto and you've never heard of Amazon, that's perfectly fine. Um, if you want to sign on to our service, you don't need any skills or expertise uh, with the Amazon Marketplace or um, using you know, command line. All that stuff is running on the back end. Um, so we offer Amimoto in two ways, as a fully managed uh, hosting service and a self hosting service. Mm -hmm. If you're doing fully managed, you just, you know, it's a SaaS product. You sign on, you create your account, um, you request a server, and that server's provisioned, and you get access to it. You never have to, you'll never actually know that it's running on Amazon, but in reality, in the back end, that's our infrastructure. That's how we've built our product. Right. But there's another variety of it that if you are, you know, the self-reliant kind, if you want to host your own uh, product, but you don't want to, you know, build the server yourself. If you have an Amazon account, you can launch uh, our Amimoto AMI. That's okay. actually where the name comes from. So it's a Amazon machine image, yep. and it comes in the same varieties that we offer on the managed hosting side. But you're you kind of have to take the responsibility to maintain that server and keep it up. Um, there's certain features where it can um, auto heal and auto scale. But really, the the day to day of that server's responsibility is on you. Okay. But you get the the same product at a lower cost, and you get more freedom to do exactly what you want with it. Okay. So um, you pay you pay more, I guess, and you get less to worry about. You pay less, and you've got things that you've got to you know monitor from time to time, and so on. Yeah, that's that's cool. Exactly. Okay. So I'm back to Digital Cube, digitalcube.jp forward slash our hyphen solutions, and I'm looking now a little bit further down the page from Amimoto, um, and at some point I come across a thing called Shifter with a I have to say a really nice looking website, um, and Shifter is something else that you do, which is kind of the same but completely kind of different as well it's all on amazon tell us about this because this is I, I love this i think this is just so so interesting great thanks uh we actually just launched that website it's a relaunch yeah, it is nice uh, thank you but the the shifter shifter came from uh after years of working you know with amimoto and building uh hosting products that can scale a lot of sites they may not need um all the things that Amimoto has to offer. Maybe they're a basic brochure site. Maybe they don't need the dynamic features that WordPress has. So the idea of Shifter is to create a static version of your WordPress site and host that on a CDN. But the way that we do that is we actually place WordPress in a container mm -hmm. and you can run WordPress on demand. So if you need access to your content, WordPress is on and uh, WordPress is accessible. It's normal everyday WordPress. And then you create a static version of that and deploy it to S3 and serve it with CloudFront. Now, all this is kind of, it's all built on AWS again, but it's all, you know, in the back. If you know nothing about Amazon, that's fine. Um, that's just how it works. But uh, it came out of the need for some sites that get a lot of traffic, but they don't need all those features, such as, um, you know, the WooCommerce uh, elements, or um, if you're a really large uh, blog, but you don't you know, let's say you create a new post once a week. Um, if you need that scalability, but you don't need that dynamic, you know, infrastructure of PHP, you know, create a static version of it, host it on S3, get more performance out of it. It's more secure. Um, 
you don't have the overhead of maintaining a server. Um, it's kind of it fit that need. Um, so there's some static site generators that are coming out now that a lot of people say are really easy to use. But if you're building client sites, still some clients aren't going to want to use you know, Markdown or write text files or learn how to code. So WordPress is still a great tool for that. But how we actually deliver that content um, hasn't really changed much. So yeah. while WordPress has kind of gone through this evolution of you know, page builders are a lot better today, a lot more people are using WordPress. The, the adoption of WordPress is still growing. Um, but how we deliver that site since the past 10 years hasn't really changed. It's still PHP, it's still MySQL, um, all the same varieties that you know, hosting has to offer, it's the same old stuff. You know, the idea of Shifter is, you know, let's deliver that in a different way that's more secure, that's easier to manage, um, that you know, get, gives you more flexibility to, all right, let's create the static version, deploy that out. I have my WordPress version. It's kind of like a staging site. Let me let me edit that over here. I think the, the, the there'll be a fair amount of people in the audience who uh, probably haven't sort of grasped what we're we're on about there. So just take a step back a moment, if that's all right, and we'll talk about sure. what it actually means. So we we constantly talk about servers, this sort of machine which lives somewhere else in the world, and you pay, and, and on that machine are things like um, Apache and MySQL and so on, and, and you dump WordPress on there, and it just works. It's great, it's, mm -hmm. you know. Off it goes. Um, but you've you've got a completely different take on that. You've got WordPress, but you've got WordPress somewhere else. Um, and when you actually look at the site, you're not actually looking at that WordPress site. You're looking at a flattened copy of it, if you like, just the like output. A snapshot. Yeah. So in a sense, you've taken a picture, if you like, of the HTML that's output when WordPress generated that page and just saved it over here somewhere. And then when somebody comes to look at the website, you just give them the HTML. Mm -hmm. um, how does that? How does that even work? I mean, we have talked to people in the past about it, but I'm just wondering with the with the sort of the, you know the infrastructure that you've got, how, how do you work that? How do you actually get to edit your pages? Where do you go log in? All of those bits. Well, I th I think it starts the the idea is just you know it, the first uh, the WordPress hosting environment is. Um, WordPress is an application, so it, it needs certain things to run, and those are being you know, My, MySQL, mm -hmm. uh, it needs PHP, it needs some sort of uh, internet gateway like um, Nginx or Apache. Those things are required. You can't replace those. So in, in whatever hosting environment, whatever capacity, those elements need to be there, uh, but they are always on. So they're, they're processes that are running on a server that if any one of those fail, the WordPress site goes down. And any WordPress site that you visit that's on a, on a hosting server, whether it's managed or whether it's a shared server, any environment's gonna have those elements. But the difference is that some sites don't always need those things running. Um, for example, if you are uh, delivering you know, a basic brochure site, PHP is there to process that page and, you know, and basically process the content. MySQL's there to get stuff from the database. But maybe that content's not changing. Maybe it's static for the most part. And what Shifter does, it creates a static version of that page and delivers that in a different hosting environment that doesn't rely on those things like uh, PHP or MySQL. But the way that it does that is at the very core, you still need that basic hosting environment. So you need some sort of place where you can run the PHP, the MySQL, and the, you know, gate, uh, the internet gateway, whether it's you know, Nginx or Apache. Those elements always need to be there in whatever variety that you have. 
And we do that through a container. So uh, we're actually using Docker. Mm -hmm. it, whether it's Docker or that's Kubernetes, it, it's just a container environment that's on or, or off. You can turn it on when you need to access WordPress and you know boot, boot up those services and access you know, your files and database and posts and pages. And when you're done, we actually send a request to another Amazon service, uh, AWS Lambda, mm -hmm. and it will crawl the page and basically create a static version of it. And then that static version gets moved over to S3, and then it's served with CloudFront. So there's some pieces in there, but to kind of give you the like start to finish, it's WordPress in a hosting environment, which may seem familiar. It's the container. And then it's on or off. And the way you interact with it as you know, normal WordPress. But when we create the static version, we're using some of those other services to kind of you know, build a different version of your site and deliver that. So, um, okay, that's great. Understood. What's the, what's the point of going through all those hoops? Why would somebody want to do that? I mean, I think we all are going to have worked out what the answer is, but nevertheless, it's probably good to know. Well, it may, there's a lot going on under the surface, but the important thing is to know that you don't have to manage any of that. That's all mm -hmm. happening in the back end. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know anything about Amazon, if you don't know anything about uh, those other services, that's that's perfectly fine. But the process that to which you you know host the static site in this container, you can turn it on and off. The benefit of that is you now have two environments. You have uh, what may be your staging environment. So let's say you're a blog and you, you know, power up your container. Yes, there's features like draft posts and you know, schedule posts, but you, you are all in on this one install. So if you get, if you're the hottest thing on this landing page and you get a ton of traffic, that's all coming directly at your site. Now, whether you have a caching plugin or whether you have security plugins, you're still, you have one point of failure. You still have that point of origin, which your WordPress install is running on that particular server. So if you're able to separate those two elements, you can give a place where your site viewers can view your site as a static HTML file that can scale, you know, quote unquote, infinitely. Yeah. Um, yeah however yeah. much, you know, resources that your CDN can provide you with. And then you can run your WordPress site, the thing that is actually that you care about that's precious is uh, in a different environment that's only for you, that's um, for site admins or site authors, and you kind of separate the two. You know, do customers or you know, my readers need access to my WordPress install? No. no. So let's separate that environment. I can have a place where I can work, I can publish my content to this other source, they can view it there where it's really fast and managed and I don't have to worry about the speed or infrastructure, and then I have a place where I can you know, worry about the things that I need to worry about. Mm. And presumably, because it's just a Docker container with a regular WordPress install, if at some point you wanted to go elsewhere, you can just export all of that stuff in the normal way, and it's just normal WordPress. Yeah, so there's yep. no restrictions on it. It's uh, um, we the the way the Docker container works is it treats WordPress more like an application. So yeah. um, the the when it turns on, it actually mounts your personal data in a separate volume. So the things like your themes, your plugins, your content, that's kind of separated out. So if you want to turn off the container and let's say a new version of WordPress comes out, when you turn on that container again, the new WordPress version is there. But we haven't touched any of your themes or plugins. Um, we kind of 
automate some of these features for you. But if you um, want to you know, export your content and move elsewhere, it's the same process as migrating any other site. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, that's, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't figured that out, but that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, how do we switch the Docker container on and off? Through the Shifter dashboard. Okay. So if you, you know, have an account, you can uh, log into the Shifter dashboard, you can turn it on and off. And when you turn that container on, it's uh, what's really like a suite of containers. So there's a container for um, PHP. There's a container for Nginx. We actually don't use Nginx. We use something called H2O. Mm -hmm. That's probably another conversation. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a variety of Nginx, I'd say, that's faster. Uh, and the, um, the database service actually is not MySQL. It's not running on the container itself. We use uh, another Amazon service called Amazon Aurora. So when you turn that container on, it kind of snaps together all these blocks, and it gives you a WordPress install that's accessible that you, you know, you would expect to find anywhere else. It's really fast. It has a, um, you know, all the features that you that you need. But uh, when you turn it off, they kind of all fade away, and your data's in a safe place. The WordPress container, you know, evaporates and you're back to nothing. Yeah. Um, it all sounds like an amazingly fantastic, you know, certainly from a technological point of view, and I love geeking out on this stuff. It sounds like a like a really fun jigsaw to build. Um, but as we know, jigsaws, you, you lose the odd bit, don't you? Was it, Were there any bits along the way that proved challenging in order to make this shifter, the whole thing glue together? You know, you, you go into the dashboard, you press the Docker button or whatever it's called, and all of these things go on and snap together as you've described. How how hard was that to actually put together? That's a good question. And there was a moment where we first, you know, you build your, when you're building a product or building anything, uh, there's always the version that you built first, and yeah. then that kind of works, it gets the job done. And then there's this moment where you're like, all right, there's a better way to do this. And that moment for us was uh, when we first built Shifter and was kind of just proof, proof of concept. All right, the, we can use AWS and we can use this approach to hosting WordPress uh, in a container. It can turn on and off. We can use Lambda to generate those static versions. But the actual management side of WordPress was the, the key. That was the hardest part for mm -hmm. us when we first started. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we were doing in the beginning was we were providing a container where you could install WordPress and it was all lumped into one package. So the traditional, what you would download from WordPress.org. Okay. And all of your data, all the personal data was kind of mixed in with WordPress core itself. Right. Now, WordPress core, you know, there's different versions that come out that really has nothing to do with your personal data, like your your themes, whatever particular plugins, whatever uploads or content that you're using. No, that's right. a that's a separate element. So when you move or migrate a site, you don't you don't move WordPress core. You don't need that. That's something that you can just download off the org site. You what you really care about is your your themes, your plugins, your uploads. So the way that we initially built it was it's all kind of tangled in to one package. If there's any error or issue, now we have to like destroy that container and you know, try it again. Okay. And it became kind of difficult to manage. And the way that we um, refactored that was we actually took the approach of a, there's this process called the 12-factor app. And it's this uh, way to build something that is, um, you can follow these steps and it's more secure. It's easier to um, you know, work with a team, it's easier to refactor. 
So one of the great WordPress projects that I love is um, Roots. Have, are you familiar with the Roots I've, project? I've, not a lot, but I've heard of it, but that's about it. So Roots, uh, they built this theme and they built a, a, I don't know if it's a package, I guess it, a stack, um, the Bedrock stack. But the way that it works is uh, it kind of takes those personal files and it removes them from WordPress. Mm-hmm. So WordPress core is in one area and your personal data, your themes, plugins, uploads are in another area. And it kind of snaps them together as needed. And Shifter works in a similar way where we can build our container, we can turn on the container, and your personal data is kind of glued to the side of it Yep. Uh, in a way where if a new version of WordPress comes out, turn off that container, we can you know spin it up again, and that new version of WordPress is there. Hmm. Uh, but it's not affecting your, your data itself, your personal files. Yeah. And... When we changed that, it gave us it gave us more uh, freedom to kind of all right, a new version of PHP comes out. Let's let's uh, throw that container in there, and it doesn't really affect the site itself. It doesn't affect that personal or customer's data, and it just you know it gave us the freedom to try new things and to be more agile. But that moment where we realized, hey, this uh, going all in with this particular way that we built it in that first version, it was a little difficult to manage for us. So mm. the the second version, the second release, um, really, really changed things a lot for us. It's such an interesting subject. I could honestly, I reckon I could just talk about this particular aspect all day long. Um, but let, let's move on to some of the drawbacks of it. I don't, that's a silly word to use. Let's 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 talk about some of the things which are difficult well, there's, to achieve. There's caveats. Yeah, there you go. Good word. Um, what can't you do in with a Docker container and which then dumps static HTML out? What, what's what's not doable? Well, if you're if you're building static sites, so there's a lot of static site generators um, that are out. There's more coming out, you know, all the time. And if you are taking that approach, there are ways to do the same things that. Um, you know, any other site would offer as a static site, but there's, you just have to think about it in a, in a new way or a a different approach. So static sites, uh, cannot leverage the dynamic PHP functions that WordPress has. So Mm -hmm. in core, there's the comments feature, which is PHP based that will not work as a static, you know, if you build a static version of your site, you have to kind of shim those features with plugins like, uh, discuss, you know, or you have to shim those features with other plugins to kind of um, rewrite or change particular parts of code that WordPress depends on PHP for mm-hmm. that you can just you know sw- swap out for a JavaScript-based version or an API version. Yep. You don't have to rewrite um, those parts entirely. You just have to figure out, all right, what are the key points in which this feature uses PHP? Now I have to change that to use an API. Yep. And once you create the static version of your WordPress site, even if you don't create the static version, if you run a live production site using PHP in a normal WordPress install, you can still swap out those features. But the important part is when you create the static version, um, it still works in both environments. So yep. you kind of have to build it in a way that can be ported to you know these different from PHP to static HTML. But, I mean, presumably it has its um, its use cases. You know, there's going to be certain people who, you, if they came to you and said, can we put this site on Shifter, you'd be thinking, oh, actually, no, um, that's not the right fit because yeah. you've got a bunch of forms or whatever functionality it might be that, that is going to cause it problems. It's nice, nice that you've 
you, you've kind of got a solution for some of those things. And that leads us on nicely to these open source projects that you've got going on. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about serverless and WP serverless forms? Yeah, so serverless is uh, the serverless framework in particular is a project which uses, um, how do I say this in a way? Yeah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. It is a, uh, it's a suite of tools. It's an open source project that will allow developers to um, maintain their code and build applications by focusing on the functions of their application without maintaining the infrastructure uh, that is required when building those um, applications or products. So to give you an example of Shifter, um, we use the serverless framework, um, but we also are built on AWS. Now, when we write our code, when we write all the functions that actually, uh, when a user logs into our dashboard or when they click you know, create static version, all those functions, they're, they're just you know, text files, they're, they're uh, code. But when we upload them to our uh, AWS account, we're not actually logging into AWS and clicking this button or hosting that on a, on a server. We keep all that um, infrastructure in a repository, which we just click deploy, and the serverless framework takes all our little bits of code and puts it up in the cloud and manages it for us. So we technically, we never have to interact with um, our cloud provider, which is AWS. Um, at all. We never really have to log into it. Um, we just have to maintain our code base. We have to worry about the functions. Um, does this function work? Is it written in a particular way that, uh, you know, is it really fast? Like those things we have to worry about. But the serverless framework allows us to upload all of our, basically our entire product um, through command line and it, it manages the infrastructure for us. Um, but we just have to worry about on our code base. So WP Serverless Forms, which is on the uh, WordPress.org repo, is a is a a use of the serverless framework. And in this case, to am I right in saying it's leveraging Contact Form Seven, so that you don't need, like you said earlier, all of these services switched on on your server, but you can still get forms to work. Yeah. So that that particular plugin, um, it doesn't use the serverless framework, but it uses. Uh, this idea of Jamstack. Okay. So the idea of Jamstack is it stands for JavaScript, APIs, and markup. And it's a way to build a, uh, a feature or a function that doesn't require um, dependencies like PHP. So JavaScript works in um, almost any environment. Uh, so if you are write, writing something that uses JavaScript and it leverages an API, it can work on your local machine. It can work on a traditional hosting platform, or it could work in a CDN. So what the serverless um, forms plugin, the WP serverless forms plugin that we built does is it takes the particular feature that contact form seven uses to send the data. So when you hit submit, it collects the form data and processes it with PHP and uses the PHP mail function to send that email out. Yep. Now, if you are running, you know, SMTP server or a different HTTP endpoint like plugin where it's sending it somewhere else, um, it still needs to process that data with PHP. But what we uh, have done with this plugin is it will swap out the, um, the action of the plugin so it doesn't call the PHP function anymore. It actually collects that data in the form when a user hits submit 
and it will send it to an endpoint of your choice. So if you're using, um, there's a service, uh, Basin uh, or FormKeep or you know any one of these third-party f- contact form services um, that you can send data to, it will collect that data for you and you can manage it at that service. So mm-hmm. if you just want it to store there, that's fine. If you want it to trigger a if this then that and send it to a Google Doc, you can do that or send it to Slack. Um, it's really just an API that you that collects data and you can do whatever you want with it. Mm. And it's while it might seem complicated, uh, these services, if you know nothing about coding, if you never touch command line in your life, you don't need to do any of that. Just you sign up for an account. It's like creating a, a new Gmail address and um, you install the plugin and that's really it. That's all you have to do. Um, but if you are not tied to one particular service, it, the WP Serverless Forms uh, plugin gives you the option to kind of put different services in there. You're not tied to one. So yep. Yep. Shifter doesn't manage your data. We're not keeping any of your data. Um, it's an open source plugin. So if you want to contribute to it, if you have an idea to improve it, you know, that's an option too. Um, we won't say at this point the words GDPR. Oh, uh, damn. Damn. Um, <laughs> You've got all these fabulous products, you know, you've got Shifter and Amimoto and, and actually go to the website. There's a whole bunch more that we simply don't have time to talk about. Um, so let's take Shifter as an example. It's a it's a technology. You had to build it. There was a lot of things cropping up along the way. Finally, it works. Great. We're happy with this. It, the tool is functioning. How much more work is there to do on something like this? Do you have a do you have a roadmap? Is it just tweaking it to make it so that it can constantly performs with you know changes that AWS might make, or do you have a roadmap for features that you're going to add in over time? Oh boy, do we have a roadmap! Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> so the um, the proof of concept and the kind of first version that we that we spoke about a minute ago that was. That really just kind of set the idea, that set the stage for us building, you know, what's currently available today, Shifter version two. And there are features we're always uh, talking with customers. And if you, you know, if you go into the website and you have a support question or a chat, most likely I am the one that responds first. So I'm constantly talking to customers and, you know, if they have an issue, hey, I'll be straight up. We don't have this feature yet, but is it something that you would enjoy? And, you know, I'll bring it back to the team and we'll talk about it. And there's really nothing off the table as far as, far as like what we could work on next. And our roadmap is really driven by what customers want. So if there's a particular need or we find a particular thing that we're not happy with personally, like because we are customers ourselves, we use these products. And if there's a feature that doesn't work, we rebuild it. We find ways to improve it. And on the roadmap, it's uh, you know, making it easier to migrate sites, making it easier okay. to manage your deploys, um, bringing more functionality to uh, plugins like WooCommerce. And while that are these are big tasks, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're definitely doable. Yeah. They're not. I wouldn't say that none of those things are in reach, um, but there there are ways. They might not be exact one-to-one comparisons um, when you. You know, you build an open source plugin that can shim the functionality of WooCommerce on a static environment. It might not give you the same experience, but not every shop is the same. Yeah, so let's say yeah, yeah. you have a basic, um, you know, you sell uh, like beer glasses on your website and you have 10 different beer glasses and that's all you sell. You know, there's a way to build that as a static site 
that can use WooCommerce and you know and still there's a plugin that that we can develop that's that can bring that functionality back. But that's kind of in our roadmap to hmm. to make every WordPress site able to be static is the ultimate goal. Um, but it's not a clear you know do follow these steps and and you're there success. But uh, it's you know you've kind of figured out along the way and WP Serverless Forms was our first step into that. Um, it gives us, you know, it sets the stage for other contact forms, uh, adding support for those. Mm-hmm. Contact Form 7 is is one particular uh, plugin. There's tons of contact forms out there. Yeah, there are. So, and they all work in different ways. So it gives us the, you know, the base to begin adding more extensions, mm-hmm. adding more support. Um, and that's, you know, one plugin. So WP Serverless Forms is just the beginning. Okay. And the next one is another open source plugin that extends other functionality and shims these features that yep. customers want. Yep. So in order for Shifter in this case to stay around, it's obviously got to you know it's got to pay pay its way, um, have some customers and so on. Since you launched it, how it, is it becoming um, popular? And and have you got any stories to tell us about you know like who it's popular with and which kind of customers are using it? Um, it's so we're being based in Japan. We have a lot of Japanese customers, and we actually get a lot of traffic from the UK. I will say, and um, being based in the US, we get you know a variety of customers here as well. But the adoption has been steady uh, since we first launched it. There's been a lot of interest. Um, we launched it in, I guess, 2017 now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it's that first year was just uh, you know beta. We were figuring things out. How does this work? Um, figuring out use cases. Uh, a lot of our customers, when we first launched it, were viral marketing companies. <laughs> um, companies that, you know, if you create a, you know, in one hour you can create a static version of your site and uh, deploy that. When your ad campaign goes out, you have a million hits uh, all at once and that site won't fail. So these types of use cases are perfect for those companies. Um, but you know, there's other ones out there. If you have a brochure site where maybe you work for uh, a client that is kind of an absentee client and you don't want to deal with this site if it goes down, you know, create a static version of it. Yep. And yep. you never have to get that you know, phone call in the middle of the day and say, hey, why is my site slow? Why huh. is my site down? You know, that's a really compelling argument. Just that last sentence. That's really compelling. I like yeah. that. So the, the thing, it's a... Uh, my when I was building sites for clients, the they would there's always this kind of like, hey, what are what are you doing as a developer to make sure my site is safe, uh, make sure it doesn't go down, and a lot of that kind of gets lumped into me as a developer. It's my responsibility, but there's other players in there. There's the hosting company. Yeah. There's yeah. the subcontractor that built this particular feature. But um, the way it all boiled down, the way I thought about it was, my job is to if you never call me then I've done my job well. Mm. Um, I should give you all the tools that you need to manage this site. Um, it should never fail. Uh, I have to put you in a place where um, your hosting provider is you know, uh, respectable, um, responsible, resilient. Uh, and if we, if I don't get that phone call in the middle of the night, then I've done my job. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's with Shifter, if you are deploying your sites in this way, you know, you have your site in a container and you're creating the static version, uh, there's no reason that that site should fail or peak or error out. Um, so those, those calls, they, shouldn't, they should never happen. The only way it's going to not work is if uh, Amazon 
or AWS goes down. And then, frankly, if AWS goes down, we might as well just pack up and go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the internet is broken at that point. <laughs> you know, and I will, I will say that it has happened. Yeah, it has. It has. But, Not that long ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, the wonderful thing about Amazon is they're in, they have data centers in so many places. Yeah. yeah. If, uh, if you're deploying uh, your static files to um, S3, uh, if they put them in multiple regions through CloudFront, so let's say the the Virginia data center goes down, which it goes down, you know, more times than I'd say it it should, uh, but you know it has happened. That whole data center has has uh, had errors or issues with S3, um, but there's a whole there's all their data centers out there, yeah. and if you're using CloudFront, which we do, um, that content is always available in some other region. So. Mm-hmm. All of Amazon has to go down for for uh, your site to not be accessible. It's a wonderful Which maybe world a solar we live flare in. Would be the only way that that would happen. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it is like I say, it's a wonderful world. There's an awful lot of interesting projects going on, especially in the WordPress community. This is just one fantastic example. Unfortunately, we're sort of out of time. I'd love to natter about this. Maybe maybe on another podcast we can get into the minutiae of it or talk about the updates to your platform, but. Thanks for coming on, Daniel. That's been fabulous. Is there um this is your sort of moment to, to use to say what your Twitter handle is and where you are, where you can be found, and so on and so forth. So a bit self promotional, really. Do you want to do you want to tell us where you are and so on? Sure. So I'm in Philadelphia, as I mentioned, and I work with uh, Shifter and Digital Cube and Amimoto. And if you want to find us online, the Twitter handle would be Get Shifter. And if you want to find my personal account, it's email Dano. Email is part of the handle. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, that's been an absolute pleasure. We'll, um, we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Cheers, Daniel. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you very much. And today's ending facts comes from blog.sagapol.com. And they've got, I love this, the jaw-dropping 101. On web design statistics of 2017, I think some of these have been updated as well. You should not ignore. Yeah, I mean, I have no more jaw now. It's <laughs> literally on the floor. <laughs> we are we are coming up against the same kind of articles here, aren't we? But this was quite new to me, and it makes sense. Number 34 was eight out of 10 consumers will choose online shopping if free shipping is offered. I completely agree. I yeah. do that all the time. I search for free shipping. Uh, I just don't know what it is. You know, if I can get the same thing but don't have to pay for the shipping. As an example, I bought a barbecue yesterday. No, well, a couple of days ago. And I hunted around until I got free shipping. Uh, I spent an inordinate amount of time. I could have been earning way more in that time (laughs) than the shipping costs would have been. But I found one with free shipping, and so I used it. I I totally agree. I think that's a massive e-commerce draw. Yeah, absolutely. I think it may just simplifies the process, doesn't it? If you know that you don't have to calculate any of the cost through weight or something, there's no surprises at the very end. That's the point, mean. isn't it? It's about the surprises, yeah. and I really don't like those. I hate to get to the cart and then realise, oh, £10. What? Really? Another £10? That's just misleading. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah, I had a shop, and we did free shipping unless we had to ship abroad, really. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's so- who... Yeah, totally makes sense to me. I agree. I pay for Amazon Prime just so that I can get the free next day delivery uh, every single year I pay for this thing. I got hoodwinked into it at the beginning and now I, I can't live without it, which is ridiculous, but that's true. 
Yeah. Right, there we go. Great little mm. fact. Thank you for bringing that one to us. Right, we should say goodbye. Thanks for listening right to the very end of the WP Builds podcast. As always, go over to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe if you want to join our newsletter or Facebook group or whatever. Mm. And wpbuilds.com forward slash deals if you want to redeem yourself of a percentage off with a coupon code. Okay, we'll fade in the cheesy music and say goodbye from me, Nathan Wrigley. And it's goodbye from me, David Wamsey. Bye-bye. Bye.